Blog Talk Radio. A bugger oppressor's man. Like pressure plate to the soul, man, the man. In Africa, Lord, no. we are crying for the pressure, come on. They want us to turn it down. We do something a little different because they want to turn it off. They want to turn it down. They want it down so low. And 
I think we had some fun and we had like a little dance hall going over here back in the studio. People, you already know who this is. This is Saiki Cassidy to bring it live and direct. And I want to give a, a pleasant, not that I didn't expect it, but a, a very pleasant, a very uh, heartfelt thank you because it seems like the listenership of our show, the dedication to Florida Chavez, is getting higher and higher. It seems like, I guess, it's being circulated and downloaded. So, you know, I want to say thank you to those folks that checked it out, and I want to say thank you to folks that are checking us out today. Hopefully we have a, a, a better connection on our uh, communication between you and I. We're actually going landline uh, in about a week and a half. What that means is usually I'm doing I'm working wireless because I may be on a location, I may be somewhere outside the studio. So I usually go wireless, and sometimes there's an issue with it. So sometimes you may hear, like, a little staticky. Uh, they talk, and I'll like, go out, and I come back in, like, you know, Megatron from Transformers or something like that. So the issue is maybe a technical issue of going uh, a landline, which basically means the old school is the phone, the hardcore line that goes into the jack. Yeah, we're going to start doing that. Um, for studio broadcasting and less. Uh, remote casting. So for today's show, there's something I wanted to do for a while. Two episodes on uh, the Conley's Army. One was well, uh, Ben Aff- defending Ben Affleck and defending the Conley's Army. And that, my God, that one, I think, is a couple of hundred people have listened to that so far and I think have been downloading it. Uh, the next one we did was part two of that because I was getting a lot of questions about that show. We did part two, but there was tech issues with that one. And I never felt I did the show righteously uh, enough that I felt, I felt the Army deserved better than that. So I said, you know what, let's find some time, let's do it, and today we're going to do that today. We'll just call this uh, the FA, uh, World on the Street, uh, FARDC, Defend Congo's Army. We'll call this the remix. We're going to do it for about 45 minutes today. I need to get back to the location to finish the shoot we have coming up this uh, June 27th in L.A. on another project. But what, what, what this basically came about was we as Congolais, or as Africans or what have you, need to stop letting people define our military, define us. Now people are saying that Congo is the most dangerous place for a woman. All of Congo? <laughs> I mean, come on now. That's like saying 411, uh, that's a Nigerian thing or something like that. You know, that's, 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 it's, it's not almost, it almost doesn't dignify a, a spotlight in a conversation, but we really have to stop this nonsense of people defining us, particularly those whose interest is counter to Congo's interest. And by that, I mean, you know, Congo's army is vicious. Congo's army is a, is, a, is a militia. Well, you know, let's, let's get something a little straight here before uh, that seems to be lost in the conversation. Most of these people bitching and moaning about the Congolese army are the same people, as I said before, who was fighting for and striving for and pushing for a mixage. What massage meant is that you took those little backstabbing rebels, those little bitches of a militia, and you stuck them in the Congolese army, and they had to fight side by side, join side by side in arms with the, con- the real Congolese military who was defending the country. And then on top of that, what they would do is leave the Congolese, uh, that, that regimental battalion, in the area that these uh, militias and rebels, quote unquote, were destroying. What do you think is going to happen? But no, we don't hear people talk about you know, when we look at uh, the Middle East, we look at the situation in Iraq or Afghanistan. When those contractors were killing families and killing civilians, you didn't send people indicting the entire contracting business. When you had some of the U.S. military killing civilians, k- killing families, and what have you, outright murdering on trial, 
You didn't hear people criticize the entire U.S. military, the, uh, the United States Army, the United States Marines, or anything like that. No, but when it comes to Congo's army and by extension other African um, um, institutions, whatever, well, you know, they take those little cowards out there in the Kivus in those certain little sectors, what have you, and they say, you know what, they represent the entire Congolese army. Well, you know what? It was that Congolese army that kept that country from being overrun by Rwanda and Uganda. It was that same Congolese army that was, that was going down towards Matadi to take care of some business with the Rwandans while the Angolans was coming up and we were trying to do a pinch move. It was the same Congolese army that was going door-to-door in Kinshasa during the first and second invasion, particularly the second invasion, looking for the enemy. But no, you don't hear that. What you hear is the Congolese army is the biggest perpetrator of the rape. The Congolese army is the biggest perpetrator of the murders. The Congolese army is the biggest perpetrator of extortion, of, of mining, of uh, illegal mining. That's all you hear. And so what happens is almost like the O.J. Simpson situation. You know, what O.J. Simpson is, does is indicative of every black man in the United States, whatever. I remember back in the day when we had a vicious killing at West Virginia College. And for about a day and a half, they didn't, really, they didn't identify who the shooter was. And I know a lot of black folks, particularly black males, was praying that the person that did it wasn't a black guy. So you could hear the collective sigh of relief when it turned out to be a young Asian brother who uh, committed those crimes. So where's the people not def- who's defending our military? You have women in the military. You have men in the military. You have people out there fighting to defend that country. They didn't want this mixage. And what happens, they don't get paid right. They have to go from one town to another town, carry their belongings, carry their stuff, and a lot of times their families with them. If they had a system like we had when I was in the military here in the United States, where the pair went to your bank account, what have you, we wouldn't have this situation. But these guys are being, and these guys and ladies are being asked to protect the ground beneath their feet, not knowing that the ground beneath their feet could pay them for the next 800 years. They don't see the money. They're not seeing resources. Then it was the United Nations that wanted to have a mandate where they put the United, where they put the colony's army under their control for particular kinds of payroll situation. What happened? Now we have some folks out there in the east. Some Boscos, these guys running around, who are wanted by the ICC and international and other international organizations, who are now leading military campaigns. So he's supposed to be indicative of the entire Congolese army. My cousins who are in the military, they're not out there looting. They're not out there robbing. They're not out there raping. They're not out there murdering. They're not out there doing any of those kind of things. All they're concerned about is defending the sovereign integrity of the country. But no, we have too many people out there that want to say, well, you know, the Congolese army, they're the biggest perpetrator of the rapes against the women, and they're worse than the militias. They're worse than the rebels. They're worse than Rwanda. They're worse than you. Give me a friggin' break. I mean, come on, people. This is the military, again, that prevented our country from, from being overrun. Let's give, let's give love what the love has to be due. And any Congolese that sits there next to some person who slanders our military or, sl- or is, next, is at a conference and someone slanders our military, your responsibility is to call that person out and say, how can you dare pour and finger at our military based on the bad apples of a few? But when we look at your military, you want to say it's very exemplary, exemplified, but you want to overlook the bad apples in your military. That's your responsibility. Let's get it right. All right, let's get to the point here. Now, people, again, thank you for tuning in. We're going to keep it a little short today. We're going to dedicate a little song here. Actually, we're not going to do no songs today. Let's hear a couple of broadcasts in reference to uh, the military. Some is archival, some is recently. All right? This is an Al Jazeera report. United Nations peacekeeping troops on patrol in the Democratic Republic of Congo. They've been giving support to army units like this one fighting Rwandan rebels in the country's east. 
But now, with growing reports of violence and abuse against civilians, including the death of more than 60 this year, the UN says enough is enough. According to our information, these civilians were clearly targeted in attacks by certain units of the army. We have decided that the UN will immediately suspend its logistical and operational support to the army units implicated in these killings. The ongoing violence has seen hundreds of thousands forced to flee their homes. Aid groups, including the International Red Cross, say the instability has seen sexual violence rise, with many soldiers implicated in rapes and attacks on women and children. But bringing the Congolese soldiers to heel may be a difficult job. Many of the fighters involved were formerly members of more than 20 rebel groups who were brought into the army under a peace deal in January. Congo's government has expressed surprise at the UN's move, saying an investigation into the killings is ongoing and that the withdrawal of support could destabilise the army. But without an international presence in the form of UN peacekeepers, and with the Congolese army apparently unable to control some of its own forces, the most vulnerable will remain at risk. Tarek Basley, Al Jazeera. The most vulnerable in these cases is often the children who get brutalized and murdered and stuff like that. And what I'd like to do is play a little song. I'm going to dedicate this clip here before we continue on. I'm going to dedicate this uh, song here to the, the young victims of the elements within the military, those rebels and militias who are still, are still killing and are hiding behind the, the shield of their uniform. I'm going to dedicate this to all those young people out there, those young children, the, the young girls that have been raped and murdered. We'll call, we'll call this uh, Little Susie. young girls out there that have suffered by those negative elements within the army. 
just a shout out to our little young ones out there, the victims of those negative elements within the military. Just a little shout out. That's all it was. People, let's continue on here. Some time ago, the European Union had a statement to make about the Congolese Army. I'll share that with you briefly. It was uh, Jurgen Schroeder uh, speaking on behalf of the European Union on the, on the FARDC. You might, might want to know that he was making these statements while he was standing in Canada. So let's hear what he has. Well, it's um, something which um, we had not expected because we thought that with the elections last year, the overall situation in the DRC would calm down. But unfortunately, uh, northern Kivu, which has been the epicenter of conflict for 15 years, has uh, come into the headlines again. The European Union has a various, various possibilities to, to do something positive. In the first place, the European Union should see to it that the uh, activities of Monuc can go smoothly and freely and uh, in a responsible way. The main thing is that uh, militias, new and old ones, are to be prevented from coming from uh, either side to the other. Then in the second place, uh, the tensions, the ethnic tension, must be reduced, and the European Union has a, a responsibility to, to have a share in doing so, in calming down things. And then we should support the Congolese government in stopping direct initiatives against General Nkunda, and rather, as the International Crisis Group has suggested, to convince General Nkunda via some representatives and high-ranking officers also from the Monuc to stay in uh, certain parts of northern Kivu and then to be integrated into the Congolese army. I think this would be a great contribution to calming down tensions. What I would like to add is also the tripartite agreement between Rwanda, Congo and the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees to do something to, uh, to tackle the problem of the refugees and IDPs. I mean, what we have done here is at any rate a step forward, and we are doing what we can do, I think. Uh, let me see. Uh, you know, I say that for a reason, because there are two things he mentioned. One, he mentioned Nkunda. You all remember Nkunda in a second. But two, he said, what, integrate the rebels and the militias and the, into the army and things should get better? I say that for a reason, because this was about three years ago, and uh, – Look where we are now. I like to have them have. I like for them to replay that interview to the same guy and see what he had to say then. And why is Congo in a three-party agreement with anybody? We got invaded. Why are we negotiating? We got invaded by Rwanda, by Uganda. If they want to stop the atrocities happening in Eastern Congo, all you got to do is deal with Rwanda and Uganda and those backstabbing, low-life Congolese that's helping them. You know, something like Wamba the Wamba. But anyway, people, look, this is what's going on. So many, of these, so many of our brothers and sisters, a lot of times we make the mistake of blaming the, the, the military and we're blaming Rwanda and Uganda. Look, it was Congolese that helped them. Who led those rebel groups, you know, those militias of the invaders back in the day? The Wambas, the Defoshan, the Ilungas, the Onakandes. Those guys are the ones that supported the rebels and the militias and whatnot. But we're spending a lot of time looking at Rwanda and looking at Uganda. Those folks wouldn't even dare look at Kivu if they, if, if they knew what, was, what would happen if they knew all the colonies were standing strong like they did back in the day. You know, the immigration policy, I like that Mobutu did when he was when we, uh, back in 94, when all these refugees were coming in from Rwanda, was telling them they got to go back at gunpoint. But no, it comes with United Nations human 
with the Human Rights Commission saying there are international laws. You can't do that. You can't tell them to go back. What do you mean you can't tell them to go back? This is Congo. They're from over there. They got to go back. These are little things, these little, uh, what was that word, that uh, geopolitical scenarios. Those are little scenarios that play into what's going on. But all we do is blame all we do is blame Kinshasa. All they want to do is blame President Kabila. All they want to do is blame Parliament. All they want to do is no. It's those Congolese that helped the invaders, and it's those backstabbing, betrayed Congolese that's in the military in the east who are looking out for themselves instead of the country. So this guy was talking about, oh well, you know, we feel they should be integrated to the army and the militias, and, and Kunda should come with his people and negotiate, and things will get better. I would like to play back his audio interview with him now and hear what he has to say. Oh, I'm sorry. We forgot about General Nkunda. You know, the guy that's supposed to be under house arrest somewhere out there in Kigali. I think he's at the Marriott Hotel or something like that, one of those resorts. You know, that kind of house arrest. In case who he was, here's a little reminder. Of course, he had nothing to do with what was going on in the Kivu. His CNDP has nothing to do with what's going on in the Kivu right now. But, you know, it's all the Congolese Army's fault. So hold on, oh, hold on for one moment. Our government has betrayed his people. This is in Kunda. It's a betrayal. And if the government didn't have to be back from that and to accept to liberate Congo, we are going to fight this government even if he was elected. And if they can uh, kill Mkunda or whoever, but this shout of freedom will continue to cry. If I can get it by talks, it can be a good, a good way. But if not, we are ready to give our blood. So when you are thinking about Nkunda protecting Tutsi, yes, I am, and I have to accept that, and I have to protect Tutsi. But the way to protect Tutsi is to have friends in other communities. That's how you said the Congolese, now you say it's Tutsi. for them, supporters from other communities, is to work with others so that they can uh, accept them like brothers. Yeah, okay. Uh, that was in Kunda. I think he's still at the Marriott Resort somewhere in Kigali, you know, under quote-unquote house arrest. Uh, you see how he said, we didn't care. We're going to get, you know, we need to. They're failing Congo. We have to do it by force. We'll solve this no problem. And if I'm, if I'm protecting the Tutsi, yes, I protect the Tutsi. Well, it can't be one or the other. And I'm going to do a show on that whole scenario, how a lot of the, the, the Congolese Tutsis were saying they wanted citizenship and things like that. But when the Congo got invaded, they sided with the Rwandan Tutsi that was coming across the border. We haven't forgotten about that because I've gotten a few emails. And I actually have a good friend of mine from Rwanda who's uh, actually Bahutu and another friend of mine is uh, Bahutu. We're going to have a conversation uh, when I head up to Canada in a few weeks. Well, hopefully I can go to Canada in a few weeks. Otherwise, I'll do it via phone. But it's very critical we have to come back to why I'm defending the Army because I'm sick and tired of people slaughtering our military and by extension indicting all the great members of the Army, the women, the men who were defending that country. They didn't ask for mixage. They didn't ask for any rebels and militias to be in their same battalion. They didn't ask to have to be side by side with these folks who they were fighting with a week earlier. They didn't. And sooner or later, it's going to come to a head. The powder keg is going to be lit. 
We have to be careful. Now, people say, can the colony of the army defend the country? Well, maybe we need to discuss the, the, the aspect. Who remembers some time ago uh, in dealing with the, uh, uh, the FDLR, who seems to be the blame for everything, who forgot that the Rwandan Patriotic Front actually was in Congo hunting down the Bahutu? Hold on for one second. Here we go. Not the Bahutu people. That was during the second invasion. I'm talking about the FDLR, who's basically being uh, the, the made to be the bad men of the entire Eastern Congo, even though everybody knows that Kigali was in business with the FDLR during the occupation. Let's stop fronting. They will say, you take that little area over there, we'll take this area over here. Rwanda occupied Eastern Congo for almost five years, four years. You're going to tell me they were able to do that, but they couldn't get rid of a bunch of little ex-far from Rwanda? Yeah. Let's hear what happened when uh, the RPF was in DRC hunting down the FDLR. Deep in the hills of northeastern Congo hide Rwanda's brutal Hutu militia. Close on their trail is the Rwandan army. Their presence here is controversial because they've invaded Congo in the past. They're hunting those behind the Rwandan genocide of 1994 who've taken refuge here. This is just one of many Rwandan soldier foot patrols. They're very nervous about being seen on camera. Nobody knows how long their soldiers will be in this mineral-rich part of the Congo or what deals have been struck to allow them a presence here. Rwanda says its hunt is a joint operation with these Congolese soldiers. But the truth is Rwanda's army is taking the lead. The Congolese army has failed to deal with Hutu militia, known as the FDLR, nearly 15 years since the genocide ended. It lacks the firepower and know-how, but the public face of the war is Congolese. This is our country. This is my country. I know it better than the FDLR. They are foreigners and they should go back home. I can even order the trees to track them down. The problem for the Rwandans is that many people suspect that the hunt of the FDLR is an excuse for Kigali to increase its influence in Congo and access the country's huge natural resources. But Rwanda says it just wants to stop the Hutu militia who've terrorized Eastern Congo since 1994. To me and to everybody else, this is the beginning of the end. Because we, people are tired of uh, insecurity, people are tired of being poor and doing nothing. People want peace and security, and they want peace and security for their sustainable development. In, day, Entire generations in Eastern Congo have grown up knowing nothing but war or insecurity. If the Rwandan and Congolese army put an end to the FDLR, this younger generation will be the first in a long time to experience peace. Ivondege Al Jazeera Rachuru in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, let me see if I understand correctly. <laughs> I want to laugh because it's like, wait a minute. Wanna, <laughs> the FDLR is referred to as, as uh, the Hutu militias or what have you that committed genocide. The Rwandan army that's dominated by Tutsis is just the Rwandan army. Let's talk about a little something here that people forgot. When that lunatic in Kunda was actually an irrational frame of mind, he decided to take his men in the CNDP to attack the FDLR. Literally. They was like go to war. He was like really hunting. He was literally hunting them down. Literally. This lasted about a week. But anyway, 
The United Nations stood in, you know, Munoz. They want to talk about uh, uh, the, the, the worst offenders, uh, the worst sex offenders in, in, in a murder in Congo. Go look at Munoz. Go look at Munoz. Didn't they change their name recently? But anyway, the Munoz came down and said, we cannot have ethnic group on ethnic group fighting. It's almost, a, it's almost a, a, an accepted paramilitary genocide. So they told Nkunda, you can't go attack the FDLR because they're dominated by Hutus, you're dominated by, by Tutsis, and that's just ethnic cleansing. That's just uh, a military fight that leads to genocide of one particular group. Well, I bet you they asked some folks over there in Kasai or in Kivu or in Oriental. Yeah, go up to Oriental and ask them about that when they had the Lendu and the Hema going at it, and everybody knew that Ugandans were supporting one side of that faction, what have you, until the Europeans came down there and took care of some business and then basically, you know, brought that whole conflict to an end. But for some reason, the European Union is not being allowed into Eastern Congo. Now, again, Nkunda wanted to fight the FDLR. The United Nations said, no, you can't do that. You think the Congolese people would have argued? Yeah, you go fight them and you know, hopefully you guys will, you know, kill each other. People. And again, when the guy's talking about, I'll go in the trees and look for the enemy, those are the Congolese we have in the military. So again, when they're talking about the Congolese army is, is the biggest perpetrator of violence against the population, let's clarify that by saying elements within the Congolese army are responsible for that. And everybody knows who they are and where they came from. So let's not like act as old as all the Congolese promise, all the Congolese fault. Give me a break, all right? Let me dedicate this next piece in our remaining minutes. I'm going to dedicate this next piece here to uh, the Congolese army themselves, all right? I'm going to give you a little shout-out here, a little something here, because you know what? I appreciate what you guys have done. A lot of the Congolese appreciate what you have done, and it's really sad that at this moment, elements within the Congolese army are tarnishing those who are worthy of the name Congolese and to be a citizen of the country. I'm going to dedicate this shortcut here to the Congolese army.
But yeah, people, let's not let our people get slandered like that. Let's not let our military get slandered like that. You know, they're not sitting in the comfort of a home in front of a laptop or in front of a computer or on some headphones or listening to an iPod or listening to an iPhone. You know, a lot of the materials full of iPhones and iPods probably came from the ground beneath the soldiers' feet. But they're not sitting in a living room with comfort and things like that. A lot of them are out there in the bush, maybe making their $30 a month, maybe even getting paid if their general is not stealing the money. They have their family nearby. I mean, this is the situations that they're living in. This is the situations that they're, they're, they're still defending the country. Some have given up and decided to betray the country and be rebels. Others are still saying they have an alliance to the country. So before we sit there, and some of these Congolese who are running around opening their mouths to want to indict the army also, you guys need to shut up also because let me, let me, let's, let's get something straight. If they start drafting people for the Congolese army, would you stay in the country to volunteer or would you flee to like, you know, Angola or someplace like that? We, it's very easy to judge people when you're not in their shoes. I'm not in their shoes right now. I'm not in the field. I'm not out there being trained like that battalion by the Americans up north, I think by, by uh, Oriental. I'm not too sure. I think that's the region by Ituri. Not too sure. But, you know, but the thing is, what are we doing to support them? Are we out there confronting these people who are trying to slaughter our people who are, by, by name? Not even by, 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 by military or by gun. I'm talking about they're trying to slaughter our people by name. Again, Congo is the most dangerous place to be a woman. Are you serious? Because a good friend of mine's BB's in Kinshasa right now. I'm sure she's not thinking that. I mean, come on. The Congolese army is the biggest perpetrator of, of crimes against the civilians. Really? The whole entire army? Because I know there's a huge battalion out there in Kinshasa. They're not out there burning down buildings. Well, then again, when the elections took place in Bemba, that might be a little different, but that's not the conversation altogether. So let's get it right, people. All I'm saying to you guys, with, a, with your one mic and one, my one mic, if you're at a conference, if you're in a conversation, and someone says the Congolese army, then what you need to do is defend that army. Because it can be very easy said that, well, the United States military is, just, is a corrupt organization and things like that. I know General McChrystal is going through some drama right now. You know, and we can make that statement based on a few bad apples within the U.S. military, but no one does that. So when it comes to Africa, when it comes to Congo, people are always quick to point at some little aspect of the negativity to indict the major aspect of the positivity. People, we can't roll like that. So look, we have four minutes left. I'm going to get out of here. I already did a little piece for the children. I did a piece dedicated to the Congolese army themselves. I'm going to defend them. The negative forces within the army, their day is going to come. The positive forces in the army is defend the country. You keep defending the country. The people have your back, and we have to fight the battle to make sure that your fighting for your defense of the country is not in vain and is not marginalized. So we're going to dedicate this last piece here by the late, great Miriam Makeba. A tragic loss when she had passed away. I believe she passed away on stage. But we're going to dedicate this next piece here to the women in the Congolese Army. People, I'm out of here. Mary Makeba, Congo. Oh, 
Ah, Marion McKeba, the late, great Marion McKeba. What was the name of that song? Congo. That was dedicated to our female soldiers, our women soldiers in the Congolese Army. We know you're holding it down. Some of you have your children with you. You're doing what you're doing. People that support our military, it might not be the best that we feel they should be, but we have to support them. They will be the best. That day is going to come. Both don't like it. Too bad, because I think a lot of the younger generation needs to remember it was the Congolese Army that trained most of the countries around us. That's why if you even looked at Congo or Zaiwa, they'll come for you. People, Saiki Kassi Dabinka, I'm direct from Los Angeles. Thank you for tuning in. Talk to you later. I am gone.